This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Almost half of female economists surveyed in the United States report that they have faced gender discrimination and or sexual assault. It's an astounding result that came out on Monday from the American Economic Association, which included responses from around 9,000 male and female economists. About two-thirds of the women responding to the survey say they believe their work uh, wasn't taken as seriously as male economists and that they had been disrespected. Out of the 9,000, 2% of respondents reported being sexually assaulted, 6% faced an attempted assault, and 12% were touched in a manner that made them feel uncomfortable. Ben Bernanke, AEA president and former Federal Reserve chair, called the figures, quote-unquote, disturbing. Janet Yellen, president-elect of the AEA and a former Fed chair, said they were unacceptably high. As a result, the organization has come up with measures to combat this behavior, but will that be enough to make a difference? To discuss this report, we're joined here in studio by Olivia Mitchell, professor of insurance, risk management, and business economics here at the Wharton School. She's also executive director of the Pension Research Council and director of the Bettner Center on Pensions and Retirement Research. Also with us on the phone, Dr. Lisa Cook, associate professor of economics and international relations at Michigan State University. And also with us, Judith Chevalier, who is a professor of finance and economics at Yale University. Olivia, great to see you again. Great to be here. Thank you. Lisa, Judith, great to have you both on the phone with us today. Thank you both. Thank you. Hi, Dan. Great to have you both with us. Olivia, I mean, the numbers speak volumes, unfortunately. Uh, And there seemingly is, like across society, there continues to be an issue with this type of of activity by men towards women uh, in the economics fraternity. It's very depressing, actually. I've been teaching for 40 years now, and sure, 40 years ago, there were very few women in the profession. You stood out. You were um, sometimes made to feel uncomfortable or awkward. But I had hoped that today things were much better. And we don't have the exact survey from 40 years ago, but uh, the fact that half of women have directly experienced discrimination versus 3% of men and 16% of non-whites is just staggering. In fact, it even goes back further. It starts in school, and the students have reported yeah. uh, being discriminated against in the graduate programs. So it's uh, there's a lot of work to do. Judith, your thoughts? Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think it's it's pretty surprising. Um, one thing I've been pointing out to people in the survey, one of the tables maybe has gotten less attention, is the um, the results on opinions and perceptions. Right. So, you know, is there discrimination uh, in the, you know, are women respected within the field? 52% of men think sure. 16% of women think no. Right. Um, you know, let me also point out one other thing, which, um, you know, hasn't been the folk, hadn't, maybe wasn't the motivation for the survey, but, um, you know, a lot of um, dis disparate opinions about um, respect for uh, people of different sexual orientations and the uh, respect perception for whites and non-whites in the field. Right. And Lisa, that what Judith touched on, I think, broadens the, the conversation even farther that this is not just about uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment. This is a seemingly a kind of a, a, a course that is played out uh, within the economics fraternity for, for some time now. 
Yes, yes, it certainly certainly seems so. Uh, and for all the anecdotal evidence we've had in the past, a number of, of us on Twitter have been uh, talking about anecdotes from from uh, many years ago, but now we have the evidence of what exists now. And it couldn't have just happened uh, overnight. And it's multidimensional. So uh, one of the tables that I've been focusing on is um, uh, reporting experiences of discrimination in academia. And there's just a stark difference with respect to promotion decisions, whether uh, people are feeling uh, discrimination with respect to promotion decisions, compensation, teaching assignments, access to graduate student researchers. And if you think about all of this, all of this adds up to productivity. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the focus has been on, say, uh, small children being the uh, the culprit, as it were, or a defining feature of a woman's productivity. And you just see how how much richer the story actually is. And that's just one just one factor, for example. So I'm hoping that we have, because of this detailed information, input into recommendations and input into actionable steps that the AEA can actually take. Let me just add to that, Lisa, if you would. Um, there's uh, associated evidence in these surveys around the kinds of things that get in the way of tenure. So, for example, we've known this academically, but women say they're five times more likely than men to have to serve on committees and do service. Yeah. They're three exactly. times more likely to say they're un treated unfairly with regard to teaching assignments and uh, about five times more likely uh, to be discriminated against with regard to course evaluations. And so these are the kinds of things that play a key role in promotion. Well, and, and then some of this, Lisa, you're talking about that that is occurring at the academic level, at universities, at colleges, which I, I think the, the perception among some people would be that, that the universities would be one of the locations where this would be potentially a, a less of an issue, but obviously it is not. That's right. Colleges and universities are probably less egalitarian than they uh, think themselves to be, or at least um, instructors and professors there. And certainly this gives us not only information and awareness, but input into actionable steps. And I would look forward to, and I'm not sure if we can do it for the final report. So I'm on the committee that um, that did this uh, report for the AEA. And uh, we haven't produced a final report. This is not the final report. But we might be able to break out uh, more information about what type of university. But still, um, it's not as egalitarian as, as, as most people think. We can do better. But it, and let me, let me jump in yep. there here. This is Judy. That, you know, I do think one thing about universities is the lack of in some ways, formal hierarchies. I mean, obviously we have ranks, but I think in, in the day-to-day -day job, lack of formal hierarchies and lack of, um, you know, objective evaluation criteria in a lot of places, in a lot of ways, um, I think actually is an environment where unequal treatment, you know, can actually flourish as opposed to, um, you know, I, I think there are some ways in which a corporate environment 
is more structured and structure right. can be, you know, structure can actually be helpful. How do you, right. how do you think that uh, Olivia having uh, just recently had uh, Janet Yellen as, as the chair of the federal reserve impacts potentially this moving forward. Uh, and, and obviously the leadership uh, at a variety of universities and, and, and establishments across the, uh, across the United States, having female leaders in these positions potentially changes this moving forward. It's an interesting point you bring up about uh, Janet Yellen. She is very high. I think she's going to be the president of the American Economic Association. But I was struck that both of the articles, the article in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, were both written by men. And the first person they cited was Ben Bernanke. And it took quite a ways down through the article to get to Janet Yellen's comments. And so I was just surprised that the news media was so tone deaf in this case. But back to the question of leadership, I think it's absolutely essential. In fact, one reason I came to the University of Pennsylvania 25 years ago was that we had a woman president. We had lots of women faculty, full professors. And so Penn has been a very positive and nurturing environment, not in every single case, but uh, much more so than where I was before, where the previous unnamed department chairman told me that I would never be any good because I was not a white male Jewish economist. And I said, well, I am white and I could convert, but I really detest pain. And so I thought maybe I'd just have to let that go. Lisa, have you ever had that type of an experience in your career? Um, yes, I have. But Dan, can I go back yeah. to just one thing sure. that uh, Judy was saying? I think that one, um, it is certainly true that we have a fairly egalitarian structure, but not a formal structure as one might have in corporate America or outside of academia. But but I think we, we actually do because we have so, especially at large public universities like mine, we have a workforce that is um, at will and that is temporary, and that is um, adjunct, right? So, yeah. so you have um, you you actually have a, a very strict hierarchy, and um, and I think that that fosters a lot of the uh, conversation and environment that that happens. But I completely agree with Judy that we could learn a lot more from uh, corporate America and more formal structures. And this is something that Susan Athey spoke to in the session at the American Economic Association meetings that was covered by uh, Ben and Jim uh, in the New York Times earlier this year. So I, I completely agree with her. But, but you know, I spoke about my experiences in the New York Times. I was told at the beginning of my career to uh, not protest too much about my ideas being uh, rejected, um, you know, I think there, there was a certain sense about who has large original ideas right. and big ideas that might make an impact. And typically, those ideas weren't delivered by people who look like me, uh, you know, six, one and a half uh, African-American woman, a young woman. And I, I certainly think that things have uh, evolved, but I think they can certainly uh, evolve further. And what we saw a week ago, um, a week ago, um, a month ago, was the new Sadie Collective, um, young African-American women who banded together, talked to Janet Yellen, talked to Lil Brainerd and others about uh, making their way into the economics profession and highlighting their almost absolute 
um, not uh, erasure, but non-existent in the economics profession. So I'm glad to see that so many young people, so many graduate students especially, graduate students have been pushing this along, and I, I think a lot of this is in response to their uh, airing their concerns. Well, uh, Judith, I, I get your thoughts and experiences as well, but also the fact that uh, uh, the Federal Reserve had come out with a report back in 2017, and at that point, 58% of undergrad degrees went to women. Only 30% of economic degrees went to women at that point. So th- there is, again, that that uh, that gap that obviously uh, plays a, a significant role in this. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you brought that up, Dan, Um, because, uh, you know, right now I'm chairing the Committee on the Status of Women in the Economic Profession for the AEA. And one of the issues that I've been very energized by and one of the reasons I agreed to serve is this this question of the disparity of representation of women and men um, and also the underrepresentation of minorities in the economics profession. And this is something I have been... um, very eager for the AEA to take on. And let me just point out one thing about economics. Um, You know, if you um, ask your typical undergraduate, even one who's had one economic course, economics course, or you ask a high school student, what's economics about? Um, You know, they, they might think it's a path to get a job at a bank, which, you know, it is. But Things like work on inequality, work on development, um, work on access to education, many of the exciting things that economists work on that I do think would energize undergraduates, we've done a terrible job of advertising to undergraduates. This is what our field is and this is what we do. Um, Let me give a shout out to a very simple research simple but powerful experiment conducted by uh, Amanda Bayer and her co-authors um, where they used where they went to a number of liberal arts colleges and they sent an email to people saying hey this is this these are some examples of what economics research is you you might like to try intro economics and they got you know a big take, increase in take up right. uh, of intro economics courses among uh, especially among um, women so i think economics has done a, a bad job of um, introducing people into the major even when and the profession even when other STEM fields have shown progress. And this is just something we have to work on. This is Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney in our studios in Philadelphia, along with Olivia Mitchell here at the Wharton School. And on the phone with Lisa Cook of Michigan State University, Judith Chevalier of Yale University. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio, 132. Or you can use my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. We're discussing the report released yesterday by the American Economic Association that details uh, the instances of harassment, assault at all with female economists. Uh, going on in this country. Again, 844-942-7866, or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. 
Lisa, though, as part of of this part of the report coming out, there was a, a new policy banning harassment and discrimination within the organization. So what impact do you think that could potentially have to 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 change the the, the path that these that these numbers have been going? I think these measures are uh, certainly a good start. I think that, for instance, the ombudsman, we have established uh, an ombudsman to uh, receive these uh, complaints. Uh, There is a possibility of AEA members being sanctioned. I think that we'll have to go, um, we'll we'll have have to go a bit further. This is just the beginning. So, for example, if there is a report of uh, sexual harassment that needs to needs to happen and it needs to go to um, a a mandatory reporter, uh, the the kind of reporter that one has under Title IX, uh, we don't know exactly um, where that should go. There is uh, there's there's a lot more room for for improvement, and we have to see enforcement. I think that retaliation is something that's going to be on the minds of, of individuals, and I've certainly seen this in, in conversations and heard about it. And I think that this is possibly why uh, some of the environment, some of the elements of the environment we see have persisted because of the, the fear of retaliation and the hierarchical structure of uh, economics. So, yes, this is just the beginning, though. This uh, policy is being refined, uh, mm-hmm. and I understand that there are many suggestions that could be entertained. Olivia? Yeah, I, I think that the policy banning discrimination is an excellent step forward. But um, as you point out, Lisa, I think there are relatively few teeth behind the uh, policy still at this point. If someone within your organiz- your own organization harasses you or d- discriminates against you, there is at least in most places an HR policy and a set of procedures that you can right. go and file a complaint. If someone from a different organization um, assaults you or you know misbehaves or says, "Oh, you know, I'm currently review refereeing your paper for a top journal. Won't you come to my hotel room?" Right, which right. is something that I've heard from some of my colleagues. They're very very few ways to get at that person in a different organization without the AEA playing an umbrella role. So I think we need to push that much harder. Well, it, it, Judith, obviously part of this is out in the business culture. But as we've been speaking about, part of this is at the at the university level. And realistically, when you think about the entire the entirety of what is being discussed in this report, if this can be addressed a, a lot at the at the university level, I would imagine the hope is that this will continue on into the business culture and it will, you know, continue a cycle positive moving forward. At least that would be the hope. Yeah, I think that would be the hope. Um, And let me say, of course, economists are working uh, in business. They're working in academia. They're working in a variety of government and nonprofit and other enterprises. Um, But I I think... um, you know, I agree with you that um, the the role the AEA should play could should cross all of those boundaries because economists and the way we do our research, the way we interact, the way we share our research, it crosses all of those boundaries. Um, and so I think, you know, yeah, there may be ways that in academia we can set an example for corporate America. But as I've already alluded, I think corporate America has set some examples that academia needs to take up as well. Lisa? 
Lisa, I agree with oh. uh, yes, I agree with Judy, and the sense that, and and Susan um, Ag who's spoken about this uh, quite a bit. We have some some contrasting data with respect to those who are outside of academia, and there are, are large gaps, but not exactly in the in the same places. So I think that we can uh, we can learn from each other, but the conversation has started. It has started, and uh, to a certain extent, it started with Alice Wu's paper two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, uh, that appeared in the New York Times. So I think that things are moving, um, although slowly there is an awareness, and I think that awareness uh, starts first. There are a number of people who have denied that such a problem exists, and I think that there is a second uh, thought that seems to be fairly common, that it's such a large problem that there's nothing we can do. But I believe there's a lot that we can do. And one thing that Janet Yellen has uh, talked about is that the financial crisis, and Dan, you and I have talked about this uh, on this show before, the financial crisis was started by uh, the lack of diversity, sort of the you know, same people asking the same questions, trained by the same people, went to the same institutions, and didn't have different ways that they came to the economy. Therefore, it's difficult to notice the signs of a financial crisis happening. So I think uh, it is imperative that we have uh, diversity for those reasons, to have a safe and sound financial system, but in the economics profession uh, more generally, to make sure that it remains a vibrant and interesting profession. Olivia? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think another thing that's been very um, exhilarating, actually, is to to take part in some mentoring activities that CSWEP, which is the Committee on the Status of Women in the Economics Profession, has launched, actually has been doing for some number of years, bringing in uh, junior faculty, providing some mentoring. And typically those mentoring relationships continue long after the initial meeting where people get to know each other. Um, I've also served as a quote-unquote big sister for um, graduate students. When I was in the graduate school, people did the same for me. It was really quite positive. Um, The other thing I'm paying a lot of attention to now is what we've come to call MANLs, M-A-N-E-L-S, which is panels which are all men. And so, you know, I think you just have to be sensitive to that and raise the point that, gee, there's some other perspectives that we could and should bring into to the discussion. And often uh, people are unaware of having set up panels. So yeah. I think that's a, a few, there are a few steps that you can take on an everyday basis that can make a big difference. Lisa, other things you'd like to see? No, but I would just like to say that I participated in that mentoring program and I thought yeah. it was fantastic. And I leave yeah. it AEA summer program that is also uh, geared towards um, attracting underrepresented minorities. So I think there are yeah. a number of efforts underway, and I think that they can cooperate more, and we can certainly do more, and we can do it earlier. One of the proposals was to get high school students more interested, do uh, more in, in that realm. And I think that's great because, you know, once you reach some students in college, you know, it's almost, it's, it's not too late, but it can be uh, daunting to try to catch up if you're interested in doing a PhD in economics. Judith? Yeah. One, one thing I'll just mention really quickly is, um, you know, I think the younger people in the profession, men and women, 
um, have really stood up and demanded change. We haven't talked about it, but there was this um, letter written by graduate students and research assistants from a number of universities demanding change in the profession. And I think the activism of young people in the profession is really uh, exciting and will help move us along. And I think a lot of people who haven't been participating in the mentoring programs and things that Lisa um, and Olivia were talking about, many of those people have come, you know, to approach me and said, oh, you know, how do I sign up for that? How do I help? What can I do? Um, and so I do think this is a, you know, my optimism is this is a moment where economics is energized to make changes. And a lot of people are energized to make changes. Great having you all with us. Olivia, great seeing you. Thank you Thank for coming in. Thank you so much. Lisa, always pleasure to talk to you. Judith, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Olivia Mitchell from here at the Wharton School. Lisa Cook at Michigan State University. Judith Chevalier at Yale University. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.